G'day friends and welcome to another episode of our Equip podcast where we look back at what we learned in our Equip Theology class on Sunday as well as push our learning a little bit further as well. Now this week we're dealing with the rather large topic of new creation. That is, after we die, where will believers spend eternity? And you might remember from a few weeks ago that if we die before Jesus returns, we first go to what we might call the intermediate state. We go to be with the Lord. Uh, we are separated from our body, as it were, and we are a soul kept with the Lord. However, that isn't our final resting place. It's sort of like the train that's, that's still going on its way to its destination. There will come a day where Jesus raises us bodily upon his return and we will face judgment Believers, of course, will come through that judgment by faith in Jesus Christ, who will um, show us to be righteous in him. The Father will receive us into his new kingdom, and that is what we would call the new creation. Now, sometimes we might think of that as heaven. Uh, however, it's more accurate to call it the new heavens and the new earth. Now, the Bible does use the word heaven a number of times. Sometimes it uses it to refer to the sky, so just the, the expanse above us, whether the blue sky or in the case right now, the very grey sky as the rain is coming down, or even space beyond that. But then also the scriptures talk about heaven in this sort of theological way. It's the place where God is. It's the place where Jesus now is as he sits at the right hand of the Father. It's the place where our hope is stored up for us. And it's the place where our citizenship is, according to Philippians 3.20. And this doesn't imply, of course, that uh, we are going to be sort of permanent residents of heaven. However, it's where Jesus holds our citizenship and holds our hope so that when he returns to earth, he brings our hope and our citizenship with him. In this sense, it's not that we go up to heaven. It's rather that heaven comes down at Jesus' return when he renews all things and makes a new home for us here uh, on earth. Uh, N.T. Wright has a really good phrase where he talks about it as the marriage of heaven and earth. God coming down to dwell with us forever. We looked at, a bit at this imagery of the new Jerusalem. This isn't thought to be uh, that, that God's new creation is going to center on the current geographical location of, of Israel. Uh, but rather that there will be a city where God dwells with his people and his will is always done. Uh, that, that's kind of how the new creation is pictured. And so uh, we might picture with that, that we will spend eternity with God and with each other in a, a place that is built up and fit for life in, in sort of eternity to come. Uh, a city is not somewhere that's kind of sparse and and deserted. It's something that's full of life and uh, full of resources and full of things to enjoy. Uh, and so there's the picture that we have of new creation. Now, one of the things that we pondered was, will this uh, act of God in bringing about new creation be an act of replacement or destruction on the one hand, or perhaps a renewal of all things on the other? When we talk about the new heavens and the new earth, is it totally getting rid of the old and replacing it with something else? 
or is it sort of renovating or renewing the old so that it becomes new? We spent a bit of time in 2 Peter 3 pondering the imagery of um, the heavens passing away with a roar, the heavenly bodies burnt up and dissolved, uh, the earth and the works done on it exposed, uh, and then how the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. It's all this imagery that certainly sounds like everything's going to burn up and be no more. Uh, however, we noted that the imagery of fire here could well be the imagery of purification or of purging rather than of complete destruction. Uh, the language here as well of works being exposed sort of lends itself better to a, a renovation image where it's like the, the structure of the house is being um, exposed uh, so that the, the things that need to be torn down uh, can be removed. You know, the walls that have mold damage or water damage, they're all sort of taken out, the gyprocs taken out, but the structure is still there. One way of thinking about all this is that the fire is pictured as destroying evil and sin in the world, not the world itself. And buttressing that image is the idea that uh, the language of being dissolved here comes from the Greek word luo, which has to do with releasing, not annihilating as much. Uh, and so it's more that, that creation will be released from its bondage to evil and sin. Romans 8 stresses that kind of uh, image as well when it says in uh, verse 18 to 21, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now certainly, of course, there'll be areas of discontinuity between this world and the next, but it would seem that the overall picture is not one of destruction and then sort of hitting the reset button, but of renovation and renewal of what already exists, sort of taking the evil out rather than taking everything out. Noah's, uh, rather the, uh, the events of the flood in Noah's time sort of give us a bit of a picture of that, where God doesn't destroy the whole world, but sweeps the evil out of it and then rebuilds on top of what's there. Okay, um, 10 knowns about our experience in the new creation. We spent just a, a brief time reading through these 10 things. Now, this is from one of my lecturers at college, Rob Smith. Uh, 10 things that we can know about the new creation. Number one, it will be a glorified experience. That is, we will see and share the glory of God. Brings me back to the time when Moses is on top of Mount Sinai and he pleads with God, show me your glory. And he has to hide behind a rock because when the glory of God passes before him, it'll be too much for him. He only sees God's back, as it were. But there's a time in the new creation when we will see the glory of God face to face. There's language in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 that when the complete comes, so, you know, it's said in this discussion about spiritual gifts. Yes, there's a time now for prophecy and for speaking in tongues and the using of gifts, but 
when the complete comes, the temporary, the use of those gifts, will pass away. And it defines the complete as seeing God face to face. Um, we will know as we are known. Just as God knows us fully, we are going to know him in the same way. We, we're going to know him personally, face to face, be able to talk with him, walk with him, and so on. Uh, think about your experience even in this life of reading the scriptures, of praying to God, and our experience of, wow, yes, this is God's word, and I really am speaking to him, but there's it's like there's some static in the line. Uh, I am hearing him truly, but not fully. I am speaking to him personally, but I'm not sort of hearing a direct reply. Well, that experience will be replaced. That's a temporary experience. It's going to be replaced with the fullness of knowing God face to face and seeing him in all his glory in new creation to come. Number two, it will be a sinless experience. That is, we'll experience full sanctification and the removal of all temptation. I think we'll still grow in the new creation. So there's still plenty for us to learn. We're going to learn more about God. We're going to learn more about each other. We're going to learn more about this created world. I think we'll probably end up learning languages. Uh, we're not just going to come and, you know, suddenly we'll be able to speak every language. I think we'll learn from our brothers and sisters as we worship with them and talk with them and hear their testimonies and get to know them. Um, but uh, we shouldn't think of this learning and growing as a, you know, our current experience of putting sin to death. Uh, that's often what learning and growing looks like for us now. But we will actually learn and grow unfettered by sin. I'm really looking forward to that. I don't know about you, but finally being able to, to be totally undistracted in our focus on loving God and loving others. Number three, it will be an embodied experience. That is, we'll live forever in glorious, immortal, resurrection bodies. We're going to talk about this a little bit more next week when we come to gender in the new creation. But 1 Corinthians 15 talks about how the perishable is, or rather what is sown perishable, will be raised imperishable. It's talking about our bodies. So, we're sown a perishable body. We're sown into the ground, the grave, uh, and the body dies for a period of time, but then it is raised imperishable. And it is this same body that goes into the grave that comes out. Just like with Jesus, it is his physical body that dies and is placed in the tomb, and it is that physical body that is then uh, raised on the third day. And that implies to us that uh, we'll be recognisable, uh, the body matters. The body is a good thing. Uh, we're going to spend forever in our bodies. We're going to be bodies forever. And we'll discuss the implications of that on Sunday. Number four, it will be a corporate experience. That is, it will be an experience of social and relational perfection. And the images of city and temple and feasting will point to this, uh, point to this reality. But sometimes we reduce the Christian experience to me and God and my Bible, or maybe, you know, something like a, a bushwalk with God. Um, those are good things, but um, church actually presents for us probably a bit of a, a better picture of what the new creation will be like. We will not be alone with God. We will all be together with God, and that is actually far better. Um, I think, again, there's the image here of being unfettered by sin in our relationships with one another. 
Again, we'll reflect on that when it comes to gender on Sunday. Number five, it will be an experience of comfort, all our tears being wiped away forever. I don't think that this implies that we'll forget the sin and difficulties of this world, but I do think that it will become for us a bit like the first day of first grade. Uh, it'll become sort of a distant memory that we, we might have there and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that first day with my new teacher, Mrs. Wilson, and I, I don't remember all the details about that. Oh, I remember she was a pretty good teacher. Oh, I remember there was this kid in my class that was a bit annoying. But wow, how many days have passed since then and how much more significant life has been since then? I think that's probably a bit of what eternity will be like. Yeah, we'll still remember all of God's goodness to us in our life here and now. And also we'll still remember, I think, um, the times when we sinned and, and the times where we walked away from him. But it won't bring us to shame. It will bring us to just praising God for his mercy once again. Uh, he has taken all of our sin away. It no longer haunts us. But we can look at it and we can acknowledge it and we can go, yes, but how much greater is God in his mercy? Again, because we'll see him face to face, there'll be no room for shame. Number six, uh, it will be an experience of fully knowing God with all our present blindness and partial knowledge removed. We've reflected on that a little bit. Number seven, it will be an experience of seeing God, referred to in the history of Christian thought as the Visio Dei or the Beatific Vision. Number eight, it will be an experience of serving God. That is, we will worship freely and fully with all that we are and all that we have. It's not just being on a roster somewhere, as important as being on a roster is to make sure that church runs well and we can serve both believers and unbelievers well. Uh, but in heaven... Or Oh, got to pick up on that, in the new creation. <laughs> See, even I've got things to learn there. Uh, in the new creation, um, uh, we will serve God wholeheartedly. It'll just be an extension of who we are and how we see him. Number nine, it will be an experience of reigning with Christ. That is, we will have wonderful work to do and joyful responsibilities to discharge. The rest that we'll experience in the new creation is not the rest of passivity or laziness, Rather, it's the complete freedom to work in our giftedness and skills and aptitude and sort of a, a new capacity to worship God in the way we fulfill our vocation. I think here the returning to the image of Eden and how we were meant to be fruitful and multiply and look after the world and steward, steward it, I think similarly we'll in the new creation be stewarding the world, we'll be multiplying the works of God. Uh, we'll be fruitful in the way that we uh, actually grow the city that God may give us. Uh, I think there'll be plenty for us to do as we worship him and steward new creation. However, unlike now, it'll be unfettered by the futility and frustration of work. Remember that one of the curses of, of sin, of the original fall, was that we would work the ground and it would bring pain and futility. With that curse removed, we will be able to work in a way that is always fulfilling and always brings glory to God. Finally, it will be an eternal experience for there'll be no more death and no end to joy. Ponder that. A few reflection questions that you might want to think through in light of these 10 things we can know about new creation. Which of these do you tend to think about most often? 
which do you tend to think about least often? And why might that be? Probably my initial thought is that we tend to think most about the comfort of new creation, uh, but we tend to think less perhaps about seeing God and fully knowing God in the new creation. Might be something to ponder why that is. Uh, Jesus actually says in John 17 verse 3 that this is eternal life, to know God and the only Son whom he has sent. The, cons the, the sort of the substance of eternal life is to know God. Which points among these 10 do you think are most evangelistically helpful? And how could each point actually be news to share with unbelievers? And then finally, what aspects of the new creation can we experience here on earth? What might we not be able to? What might we only be able to partially experience here? number of things to reflect on. And if you'd like, remember, I've sent around that uh, document about gender and the new creation. If you want to give it a read, it'll be what we're going to discuss next week. I'll probably spend about half an hour covering the content of that document. Uh, and then we'll spend the other half an hour in bits and pieces throughout uh, discussing some of the points that come up. Really looking forward to that with you guys. And uh, I'll organize a bit of brekkie for us as well. Just something simple. Look forward to seeing you there.